Good morning. We have been a series we've been calling Legacy. Uh, it's all about what we're going to leave to the next generation. It really, in many ways, speaks to the DNA of our church about we will tell the next generation. Amen? We're all about telling the next uh, generation about what God's doing. And we've covered all kinds of stuff. We've talked about kids for a couple of uh, Sundays and some other things. And so today, uh, we're going to turn the corner into what is, for me, in some ways, just as a preacher, um, the most uncomfortable one to talk about. In some, and it shouldn't be, but it just is. Uh, and so, um, oh, hit the next slide there. I bring it up. Um, uh, we're going to talk about leaving a material legacy, uh, and that actually means uh, we're going to talk about money today. And so every time we do this, uh, it's always kind of like, oh no, money. So everybody just sigh, just go, ah. yeah, okay, now we all kind of got that out. We're all, the whole money thing, you know. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's hard when we get to this, because people kind of get wonky about it a little bit, you know, and we're going to talk about money. And by the way, it, it always turns out that if I preach about money, then guests show up. And so if you're a guest this morning, I'm so sorry. Please come back next week. Uh, we're going to talk about the sacraments next week, which will be a lot more fun and how that, that goes together. In fact, I'm really looking forward uh, to that part of it. But, but the reason we do this is, is this. Jesus talked about money a lot. A lot Jesus talked about money. In fact, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. Which is kind of interesting for us because we tend to think about religion and faith in Christ all about getting to heaven and avoiding hell. It's what I call fire insurance religion, you know. Just got to make sure we don't go to hell so we can go to heaven and then it's all good. And that kind of puts all of our religion out there for something that happens after we die. But that's never what God intended. God always intended that our relationship with him be about how we live in this life. How we live here. How we are agents of redemption. And so he was always talking about it. In fact, there are 39 parables in the New Testament, 11 of them are about money. I mean, that's almost a, a third. Every one in 10 verses, 10% of the scripture verses are, are about money in some sort of way. And so it, it's just a big thing for Jesus. In fact, if I preached exactly like Jesus did, I would be preaching about money a great deal. And, and I don't preach about money a lot in this context. And, and a part of that is, honestly, you guys are good and generous people. One of the great blessings of this church is the generosity uh, that you have. And so deeply, deeply thankful for that. And I know that I'm going to be preaching to the choir a little bit about money, because we're going to kind of need to talk about money before we talk about how to focus that into, into legacy. Um, and so we, we just, Americans, we just have this thing about money. It's like, you know, we don't talk about our money. That's just kind of the, that's a secret. Shh. Which, which is kind of interesting because we live in a society where we have no secrets anymore. You, you remember when on TV, you know, they wouldn't show people kissing? Now the stuff they show on TV is like, you know, they, they wouldn't show violence and now they show violence. It's like, now we, we live in a society that in some sense is kind of shameless. They just talk about, show everything. And in some ways that, that, that's good. There were some things we should have talked about we didn't talk about, right? But, but there's still this money thing where it's, don't talk to me about my money. That, 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 that's private, okay? Well, I'm not sure that money as a private thing is exactly what God intended. In fact, I would argue that your relationship to money is a spiritual issue. Always gets real quiet when I say that. No amens, no jumping for joy, you know, woo, preach it, brother. You know, I miss kind of my black congregation that we're doing that kind of thing. Preach it, brother. When they said, help him, brother, that was always a little like, you know, but... Yeah. 
It's a spiritual issue, and God has a lot to say about this, and I think it's precisely because nothing interacts with how we live as followers of Jesus more than our money. Everything we do involves money, have you noticed? You know, it's just everything you do. It, it involves money in some way, uh, shape, or other. And so I, I really, as we come to this, I want, I want you to keep this in mind. This is what this is all about for me. It's about a spiritual issue. And the only reason I preach about money is because it's about a spiritual issue. If it were just about money and accounting and all, that's not my realm. There are lots of people that can help you with that, okay? But spiritual things are, are what we're supposed to talk about. And there's a real connection between our money and leaving a legacy that lasts after us. And so we're going to explore that. And so um, Jesus said this in Matthew. Uh, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Are you familiar with this verse? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And uh, this is one of those verses that growing up, I had a particular take on it. In fact, when I heard it preached, treasure was almost always meant money. Where your money is, there your heart will be. Uh, except I went to school and I learned Greek, and Greek messes up all kinds of stuff, because you kind of look at it in the original language and go, wait, that's not what it says. And in fact, in this particular case, the word for treasure doesn't mean money. It actually means treasure box. So in the ancient world, they didn't have a lot of banks. You couldn't, you know, put your money in a bank, you know, and get an ATM card and, and go out and spend it however you wanted. Uh, in the ancient world, if, if you had a little more money than you needed at the moment and you wanted to store it someplace, you would actually put it in a treasure box. They would have these boxes that were like lock boxes, really heavy, really strong. And, and then they would put the, the extra in there and they would hide it someplace so that nobody could find it. And this scripture will make more sense to you under, with that understanding about what your, what your treasure is. Uh, and, and so this is kind of the equivalent of putting it under the mattress. You know, every once in a while the news, you'll get some little old lady that passes away and they find a million dollars under the mattress because she didn't trust banks. Well, they didn't have banks, so they had to store it in, in their house. Um, and so um, what, 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 what it's talking about is this. Okay, what you are doing, what are you doing with what you have? That's really the issue here. What are you doing with what you have? And, and, and that's the question with money. It's not about how much you have. It's about what you're doing with what you have. And what is in your treasure box, okay? And this would include more than just your money. It's the gifts and your graces, all of those things, those treasures uh, that you have. So ultimately, this is really about values. Ultimately, money is about values. It's not about money, Amen. Because I, I contend that if I can see how you spend your money and how you, your calendar, how you spend your time, I can tell you what your values are, your real values anyway. Because what we give our time and our money to are our real core values. And, and so uh, there's an interesting sort of thing going on uh, with this in the, in the previous verses where they begin to talk about spiritual things. And now I want to I jump down to verses 19 uh, and, and 20 in this, and it says this, uh, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven,' On earth, wow. <laughs> I went to a lot of school to be getting that wrong. <laughs> Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So let me 
pull this apart. Remember the word treasure is your treasure box. But in the ancient world, what you invested in was a real problem. Nowadays, uh, people, if you want to save for your retirement, you may invest in the stock market or you may invest in bonds. And we tend to talk about investing in some sort of financial instrument of some sort. How many of you have ever bought a bond or a, a you know, something in stock? Any, yeah, we all, somebody at some point, we've done all that. But they didn't really have that in the ancient world. And they didn't have banks where you could go in and get half a percent interest. Yay! You know, they, they, they had to do something with, with their money. And so what they would do is they would often buy expensive things that held their value and they would put them in the treasure box. So when we talk about where moth and rust destroy, one of the things that had great value in the ancient world were certain kinds of cloths, especially if they were dyed purple and those sorts of things. They were very, very, very valuable. And so if you bought something like that, you bought it as an investment, you would take it and you would put it in this box that you were burying someplace. So what happens if a moth gets in the box with this expensive piece of cloth? Bad news, quality of your investment goes, right, you know? And so that's why it says that, where moth and rust destroy. And they would do other, they would put other metal things. Metals were very, very important. So if you had like a sword that was very valuable, you'd put that in there. But then if it got rusted, if there's a little water in there, then the, the value would go down. And of course, because you were storing this in your house, sometimes there were unscrupulous people that would raid your house when you weren't around and go looking for it and they might find it and all of a sudden you would lose all of your all of your investment because there was no you know FDIC insurance to protect you from all of that and so this image is important here where are you putting the things that that are really valuable what are you investing in and then it goes on to say but instead okay and this is not one is bad and one is good this is just talking about another way but instead lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal I mean how in the world would you break into heaven and steal from God right so it's kind of an interesting it's, it's a picture that's almost designed to uh, to make you laugh in this context context. So when we talk about this, we talk about making the investment in, in the things that are eternal and the things that, that really last. Uh, we get kind of, we kind of have funny ways of talking about this sometimes. In fact, one of the ones I have used and I probably will use again, but which I kind of chafe against is, is this one. How many of you have ever heard the expression, you can't take it with you? Yeah, and there's some really great illustrations about that that preachers use about not taking it with you, you know. The, the one I like the best is the, the lawyer, you know, that, that got instructions from the rich guy to take all of his money and convert it into cash and put it in the casket with him because he was going to go with him, right? He was going to take it with him. And as, as they're getting ready to lower it, the, the lawyer writes out a check and tosses it in there and closes it and keeps the money. <laughs> so you can cash it in heaven, you know. Can't take it with you, you know. There, there's tons of, you know, pulling, the, anyway, you've heard all of those. Here, here's, here's what I think about that though, um, I, I believe um, that you can take it with you. You just have to convert it into kingdom currency. Just have to convert it into the currency of the place you're going. How many of you ever traveled internationally? If you traveled internationally, one of the very first things you do when you land is you convert some of your money into the currency of the place you're at, right? So that you can spend it because you kind of got to get it into that currency in order to, to spend it. And, and if you have the wrong currency, it, it's really a pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember especially like when I was in college, I would save up to buy a soda. I understood poverty in those days. And so you save up your quarters, it was like 75 cents, and you'd get there and you'd discover that the third quarter after you put the first two in was a Canadian quarter. 
and it doesn't work. And it got my other two quarters, and it's like, <laughs> wrong currency, right? You know? And so what, what we do in the kingdom is, is we can indeed take the currency, take the valuables that God has given us, and we can do things with them to convert them into things that matter in heaven. To th- a currency, lay up treasures. That's why it says lay up treasures for yourself in, in heaven. And, and what is that? Well, the primary way you convert what we have from this place to the next piece is by blessing others. That's how Jesus did it. Everywhere he went, he went out and blessed people. That that we use our resources for the work of the kingdom and for what he wants to do in in this world. And and we bless the poor and we bless those around us and we bless the needy and we uh, bless all of those sorts of things. And so he talks a lot about how to get that done uh, in in our lives. In fact, there's another story that kind of is the same sort of piece. It's found in Luke. It's the same basic story, but Luke changes around a little bit. And Luke begins with a story about a rich man who is going to go on a trip. And when he's going to go on the trip, he's like, okay, what do we got to do? Who's going to watch over my estate and all these other servants? So he appoints a chief servant uh, whose job it is, in fact, he's a slave, to, do, to watch over all of the master's goods, to take care of the financial things, to oversee all the rest of the slaves, make sure all the work gets done. Pretty cherry job, really, you know? It's like, cool. And so the story records that he puts him in charge of it. You're supposed to take care of this, and the master leaves. And uh, the, the guy, was, you know, this would have been me in adolescence, probably. It's like, cool, the boss is gone, right? We are going to party. You know, we got all these resources. It'll, it'll be great. Not only that, some of you that gave me a hard time, I'm going to get even while the boss is gone. And so it records that he kind of partied and spent the money and he got even with some of the, the people around there. And then the master shows up unexpectedly, right? So, so you guys all know how this is, gentlemen, men. Just... just Raise your hand, all you wives, close your eyes. How many of you clean up like a few hours before your wife gets home when she's been gone for a few days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. My compatriots, some of you got both hands up like, <laughs> amen. You know? Well, that, that's, that, that's what the servant planned on doing. He planned on getting, you know, and, and then they the showed up unexpectedly. And if you, you follow the story down through, there's a really powerful little phrase uh, that I made very alive in the life of my own children. And, and 1248 says this, To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. I, I, the servant, I gave you everything. I gave you charge of all of the resources. I gave you charge of all of the servants. I gave you charge of everything. Much was given to you. And not only did you not do anything good with it, you did bad with it. To whom much is given, much is required. And this is a fundamental kingdom principle. Uh, I used to talk to my children a lot about this. Uh, when, when they were growing up, we were in a community that was very poor by American standards and a lot of, a lot of tough stuff. It was inner city. Uh, and so my son, if you've met my son, he is, he's gifted intellectually. Um, and so I used to say to Kevin a lot, I said, Kevin, you have been given much. You've been given a, a, a big IQ. You've been given great social skills. You've been given musical skills. You've grown up in a family that loves you and supports you and, and cares for you. You have a good self-esteem. You've, there's so many things, but God has given you much. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I guarantee you that God has some expectations about your life. And for both of our children, we, we built that into them. You have been given much, and to whom much is given, much is required. Amen? Many of you have been given much. In fact, let, let's just be honest. When he says, to whom much is given, he's talking about us. Well, one person believes that. <laughs> 
to whom much is given, he is talking about you and you and me. He's talking about us in, in all of that. And, and I know they're all going, well, I don't know. I don't have all that much. So, so let me help you with this a little bit. How many of you have heard of the 1% club in America? 1% of the, the top 1% of earners. How many would like to be in the 1% club? How many like to be able to see the 1% Club from where you're at, you know? Yeah, we're all, we're all of it. So let me give you what the 1% Club looks like uh, in America. Uh, too much is given, much is required. Sorry if I didn't, I didn't click that earlier. So uh, the 1% Club. Uh, in, the, in the United States, in terms of earnings, if you make $421,926 a year, you are in the 1% Club. Any 1%ers here? Yeah, I know some of you missed it by that last six bucks, right? It was like, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't quite get there. So, so if you make that, and you can also measure this in wealth, but it's easier to talk about income. And, and then in, the, in, in, in Washington state, it's even higher. It's uh, 451395 Turns out we have the two richest people in the world in our state, so it throws the curve off a little bit. Uh, they, 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 in fact, live, you know, Microsoft and Amazon, and they live right next door to each other. I wonder what it costs to live in that neighborhood, right? You know, Wow. Wow, that's a lot. But interestingly enough, this is, this is the floor. This is to just get into this, right? So if you can get to $421,927, you have made it into the 1% club. But on average in the United States, the average 1%er makes $1.38 million a year. Yeah, that, that's, that's a lot of cash. I, I would say by any standard, they are in the to whom much is given category, right? Everybody agree that if they're in the 1% club, they're in the to whom much is given. I think everybody agrees with that. No one would, would argue with that. Here's the difficulty. When we look at them, we perceive them as very rich and us as not rich, right? And compared to Bill Gates or Bezos, yeah, absolutely. But when we look at the 1% club in the world, if you have a household income of $33,000 a year, you are in the 1% club in the world. Yeah, that changed everything, didn't it? You know how you were just looking at those rich people going, wow, they got a lot? The rest of the world looks at us like that. $33,000 family income, household income. You are in the world, the 1% club. So I go back to what I say. When Jesus says, to whom much is given, he is talking about us. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He was talking uh, about all of us. The difficulty is when we decide whether we're rich or poor, we always compare ourselves to rich people. Have you noticed? I mean, compared to Bill Gates, we'd be poor. But if you compare yourself to people around the world, we're incredibly wealthy. I remember when I traveled in Rio, and, and we were at the bad parts of Rio, and, and we, had, we had families there that we visited, and, and one of them in particular is a part of the, the kind of the hospital thing we were building, and and they took us to meet some of these families. And they had a board across the front of their door because they had no door. But it's pretty warm in Rio. So I was like, well, why do you have a board? And they said, because at night, if we don't put a board up, the rats will chew on our children's toes. Much is given. Much is given. You know, I never worried about rats chewing on my children's toes. Never once in my life that I worry about that. The truth is, to put it in the language of some of my last church, we are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Amen? We are blessed and highly... And that comes from a man in my last church that had a lot less than almost all of you in that inner city environment. And yet he loved to say, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Had nothing to do with money because he didn't have a lot of money. It had to do with the fact that he had been given much in so many ways. 
And in fact, the word for given, you know, to whom much is given, the word in Greek actually means a gift. Not something you earned, uh, a gift. And, and so let me just say this. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have. In America, sometimes people kind of bristle about that. Well, I worked hard. Yes, you did. And that's an important sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is everything you have, you have because God made it possible in your life. In fact, I would say it this way. Everything we have belongs to God because he's the one that gave us to us. No, no way. That's just not what, well, consider this. What if you'd been born with an IQ of 80 instead of 120? Your financial future would be very, very different than it is now. At 80, you're probably homeless, unless you have something around you. Oh, or what if you had been born in a peasant to, in, to a peasant in Cuba? Think you'd have all the stuff you have now? Nope. Well, what, what if uh, uh, God had uh, not intervened and protected you that time you know about where God... What, 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 if, what, what, what if in your chromosomes, one of them or two of them were just turned around a little bit? And instead of contributing to society, you're taking from society. What, what if? What, what if God had not blessed you that time that you begged him to bless you? What if God had not intervened that time when it looked like everything was going to go the wrong way and yet God intervened in all of that? What if? What if? Do you understand everything you have used to accumulate what you have is a gift from God? So all that we have... It's from God. And in fact, when we, when we don't remember that, it's, it's this forgetting thing that the Bible talks about. God's always saying to his people, remember, remember, remember. And it's so easy to forget that all that we have comes from God's hand. And so he, he also talked in there that, about that it's going to be required. And so one day, every one of us will give account for what we do that, with what we have. Every day... <laughs> Man, I'm really having trouble with sentences today. Uh, one day, every one of us will give account to God for what we do with what we have. It's not how much you have, it's what you do with what you have. God has blessed into all of our lives a, a certain amount of, 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 of resources in our lives. So let that, that think in, sink in for a minute. One day, we will give a, a, an account for that. Are you doing with your money what the Bible says you're to do with your money? That's the question. Do you know this? You do not have to do what the preacher says. Some of you should go, yay, you know, freedom, because I grew up in a time where you got to do what the preacher says, or, mm, you know, and then they ordained me, and it's like, rats, I don't get to tell people what to do? Let's reconsider this, you know? But what the Bible says, and what the Spirit says, that requires our obedience. And so here's what I believe theologically about money. Your money is a sacred trust from God. In fact, sacred trust is a language I, I use a lot. It's maybe one of my primary ways of understanding our, our time in this world, that God has put things into our hand. That it's a sacred trust, and one day we're going give to it, give it all back, but for this time in our lives, he has given it to us. There's all kinds of things like that. Your children are a sacred trust. I was really hoping more of you would believe that. Do we need to go back to, you know, we're going to tell the generation, somebody tries to get, your children are a sacred trust. Yes. Uh, your, your gifts are a sacred trust. Your intellect is a sacred trust. Your resource, everything you have is a sacred trust uh, from God, and that includes your money. So the question then becomes, if this is a sacred trust from God, what does God require you to do with the money he has given to you? That seems like an important question, Amen. And so we want to look at that uh, a little bit uh, together this morning. And so um, the first thing that is, uh, is first is take care of your family's material needs. 
Take care of your family's material needs. In fact, in 1 Timothy, uh, it says that the person that does not take care of their family's material needs is worse than a sinner. Worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an infidel. That's pretty bad language, right? So, so the idea here is taking care of the material needs of your family is the top priority. Even over sometimes stuff that we think of as spiritual. Now, in our community, again, we're a more affluent. There aren't very many families that have less than $33,000 a year coming into our, into our homes. Maybe there are some, but there's not very many of them. It's hard to live here with that kind of, that kind of money. But, but for, for this idea of, of the material blessing, in my last community, like I said, inner city church, we had some very, 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 very poor people. And, and in that community, um, especially in the black community, I don't know if you're aware of this, tithing is a really big deal in the black community. It's just a part of who they are in the midst of the poverty. It's, it's just a big, big, big deal. And in fact, so much so, if you go to a black church, most black churches, uh, when the offering time comes, they do not pass the plate. They make you get up by rows, come to the middle, and walk down and put it in the plate where everybody can see what you do, right? I'm telling you, it's a big deal in that community. And one day, one of those folks came to me that I knew was in a tough, tough situation, and they were just in tears. And they said, Pastor, I don't, I don't know what to do. He said, if, if I pay my tithe this week, we won't eat. And I said, that's really, really easy. Eat. Why? Because the first priority is take care of your family. Amen? Now, I know people have stories about paying their tithe and God did the blessing. And if the Holy Spirit gives you specific direction, absolutely do what the Spirit says. Okay, by the way, that just goes all the time. <laughs> do what the Spirit says. But, but the standard way of operating is you're to take care of the material needs uh, of your family. It's the most important legacy you have. Okay? So second is give to God. Once the material blessings of your family have been taken, give to God. Because it all belongs to him, amen? It's, it's all his, uh, and he asks us to, to give back a, a portion of this. And I, I never know how to talk about this, because in some ways it sounds like it wouldn't be a good idea. But So I, I'm just going to illustrate out of Jody and my life. Jody and I uh, started tithing bef before we ever got married. Uh, my dad was determined to teach us to tithe. And so I learned to tithe because I had no other choice. That's how I learned to tithe, right? You know? None of you have learned stuff like that, you know, where your dad says, that's it. That's how I learned to play the piano, too. My mom said, you can't go out to play until you practice the piano, right? And so I'm thankful for those blessings in my life that were forced on me. At least now I'm thankful for them. I wasn't so much back then. But, but I'm thankful for them. And, that, and so it started with my dad. And then we carried it right into our marriage. And from the very beginning, we just, we tithed uh, all the way along. And it was really, really hard when, we were in, when I was in graduate school because we were making like very little money uh, at, at that point. We learned later we actually would have been able to get government benefits, but we didn't know that back then. And, and, and yet, here's what I'll tell you. We have tithed all of our life. We're never going to be rich, rich. But God has always been faithful. In fact, he's been faithful, faithful to us in so, so many ways. And I, I know there's this TV preacher that says, if you give 10%, you'll be, get 10 times more. If you give more to that, the more you give to me, the more God will bless you. That is a lie if it's talking about money. But I will tell you this. If you are faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. 
And I just know that out of my life and in my terms of my legacy, out of my parents' life and out of my grandparents' life. They have a long testimony of financial faithfulness of God through all of that. So if, if that story isn't enough for you, let me give you some other reasons to, to be faithful, to give to God. And the first one is this, do it because God said so. How many of your parents said, because I said so at some place, you know? Yeah. We grew up with a whole different system and we really were into the choices and consequences and all of that and tried to talk to the kids and all that. But every once in a while, it was deeply satisfying to say, because I said so. <laughs> what? You never did that? You're all looking at me like, no. I don't. There's, because for me, honestly, that settles it for me because God said so. That's good enough for me. But here's another one. Because it's ungrateful to not do it. How many of you taught your kids to say thank you? How many of you were embarrassed when they didn't say thank you? Yeah. So God has given, everything you have comes from God, so returning a portion is just a part of it. Uh, do it because it's good for you. You're going, what? You know? I am persuaded that God tells us to tithe not because he needs more in his bank account. Pretty sure he's got that covered. He has us do this because it forms us spiritually. It breaks the power of greed. It breaks the power of materialism. It breaks the power of assuming that it's all about us. There's something deeply spiritual about committing ourselves financially to the work of God. And then do it because the dollars help change the world. I am persuaded that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Because I believe Jesus is the hope of the world and we are his body, amen? And so when we give to the church, this is what can really make a difference. I don't know if you know this, the politicians are never going to save us, and I don't care which party you're on. Amen? It is the hope of the world we find in Jesus Christ. And so when we give to that, we give to something that really matters. And so a part of your legacy needs to be a financially healthy local church. And the truth of the matter is, that happens when we give on a regular basis to the ongoing work of the kingdom. That's the first legacy of the kingdom of God. And the truth of the matter is, for some of you who are my age, because I want to talk to you just a little bit in all of this, do you know that the financial backbone of the church is not the oldest generation? It's my generation. It's the people that are in the last 15 years or so of their career because we are making our maximum dollars. We're at the top of our career, and the kids are out of the house. Woohoo! I mean, the kids are gone. And so we have more than ever before. And, and we are leaving a financial legacy for the next generation because when we were those young kids with, with those young families with small kids, they, we were not the backbone of the church. The people in their 50s then gave that we might benefit, and now we give that the next generation might benefit. A few more you need to say amen, I'm just gonna wait this time. <laughs> it's a legacy of a financial uh, future for them. So, here's what I know. Family and God are the meat and potatoes of giving. Those are the two most important things. This is where a lot of the resources go. This is, this is the thing that nourishes us, nourishes our family. It nourishes the kingdom of God. It nourishes our community when, when we give to this. And this is, this is the required giving. This is the stuff that belongs to God. It's, we do it disciplined. We do it in a regular sort of way. We discovered a long time ago, you can give a lot more if you give a little over and over and over again. 
If you put a certain amount in the paycheck, we're just going to do that every sort of time, or we do it every week, or whatever it is. You'd be amazed how much it can add up over time. Way more than if you get excited about something and you make a, a one-time gift. It's just powerful. And so, where you are, I know many, many of you are deep into the giving on a regular basis, tithing. But if you're not in that place, can I encourage you to just step up and just give something regular? I don't care if it's a dollar per Sunday. Start the regular sort of thing and let God work in your heart. You will be amazed what he can do through all of that. And so uh, regular giving is important. And then uh, third is uh, give to those in need. Uh, And there's all kinds of ways you can do this. Jesus said that I was hungry and you fed me. You want to meet Jesus? Go meet homeless people. That's where he said you'll meet him. And so you can, you can give to all kinds of ways. How many of you have seen the thing going on in Mozambique? You know, there's the floodwaters, if you're watching the news, it's horrendous. The Church of the Nazarene has a huge work in Mozambique. And I'm encouraging, if you want to give to that, give to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. There's lots of good organizations. Red Cross is a great organization. But the way it works in our denomination is when you give to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, they will send the resources to Mozambique and nobody takes anything out of it because it goes to the churches and the people and they distribute it. We have a built-in network that, that, that works like that. And so let me say this to you. If there's ever a giant earthquake around here and we're in trouble, show up at church because there's going to be resources coming here from other Nazarenes that they'll ask us to distribute. And so I would encourage you, give to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries for stuff around the world. Child sponsorship, we've been blessed. We had a youth pastor that was a, child, that was a sponsored child in the Philippines. We should all be sponsoring children in some sort of way. Uh, the bucket Sunday, when we give to our local Compassionate Ministries, some of you put a buck in the bucket, some of you put five or ten in the bucket. Some of you write checks. Thank you so much of those that write checks. And I want you to know, our local Compassionate Ministries with the homeless and the poor in our community is showing results. We're we're seeing people saved and turned around. The difficulty is when you get someone who's addicted and, and they turn their life around and God's working in, they got saved, we baptized some of them. Then, then this crazy thing happens as they're trying to break the addiction. They can't keep hanging out with the same friends. And so some of the dollars you have given, we have bought bus tickets to send people back to their families. And we've got some great stories of them reuniting with families and broken relationships being healed and they're doing great. Because you gave to Compassionate Ministries. And then, and then fourth, give, uh, give to causes you care about. There's all kinds of great ones out there. Uh, you know, the building fund makes a lot of this happen. We recently had a large gift uh, to that. We've got some more things we want to do around. Kids to camp, that's a great one to give to. Uh, service organizations, uh, I need to say to you, this is, sounds surfing. I'm on the board of the YMCA, but if you want to give to a great organization in our community, the YMCA is a great organization. It's way more than a gym and a swim. They do all kinds of work with the elderly and with kids and with all kinds. There's, there's all kinds of places you can give to uh, causes you care about. But all of these are what I would call dessert giving. It feels good. You know, it feels good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't have dinner of meat and potatoes and it's all dessert, you know what happens? You get sick. <laughs> and so the, the, the tie, that's, that's the thing that keeps the lights on and pays the bills. That's the in, important part of it. So I want to encourage you to all financially eat meat and potatoes and dessert. <laughs> I would have thought dessert would have got more, but hey. You know. So... Um, 
Fifth, uh, leave a material blessing. Uh, and one of you, some of you will come to the end of your life and you will have more than you need at the end of your life. And one of the great things that happen is people will sometimes leave a legacy gift uh, to, to the church or to other churches. Like I said, not long ago, we had a fairly large one given to us uh, that came out of somebody's estate. They'd been in this church all of their life. And so when they got to the end of their life, they gave some money to the building. We're going to put some things up and do some stuff because they left a legacy for the church that follows. And so I would encourage you to do that. And I can say that without that being uh, self-serving because I certainly hope that by the time you all kick off, I'm somewhere else. So I won't benefit from that, that, uh, that uh, but God will do a great thing in that. And so let me wrap it up this way. Um, be generous. In fact, if I could wrap up the whole theology of money, that would be it. Be generous. Be generous with the people around you. Be generous with the church. Really be generous with God, okay, because he's been very, very generous with you. Be, be generous with your family. You see, ultimately, generosity is not about how much you have. It's about who you are. It's a value. It's a value. It, it, and, it, and it really does. I have met rich people that were generous, and I have met poor people that are generous, and I have met poor people that were stingy, and I've met poor people that were generous. It, it, it's, it's not about that. It's about who you are. And then, when you have more than you need, build a larger table, not a higher fence. I love this. It's a meme that's kind of kicking around. Man, that just captured it for me. What, what if instead of just getting more and more and more, what if we expanded the table? I mean, one of the, the primary symbols of the church is the table when we take communion together. And next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the sacraments and legacy. Lord, here in Generations Community on this hill, on the top of this, this church on the top of the hill, would you expand the table so that more and more and more people can eat from the Father's table. Amen? That means we need to be generous. If our, if our musicians would come, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord in giving. We're going to have an offering at the end of this sermon. Woohoo! Yeah. Surprise, 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 you know? And so I just want to remind you, you can give electronically uh, through our app, or you can do it on the webpage. Uh, you, there's just all kinds. You can put a check in the offering. You can even put cash in the offering plate, and we'll take that too, you know? Uh, but Lord, make us a generous people is my prayer. Let me, let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know these are good and generous people, Father. And so I, I pray that you would just stir our hearts, Lord. Um, help us to be changing the resources you've given to us into the currency of the kingdom, Father. Help us to be a people that, that give out of our hearts, Father. Lord, I don't, don't let anybody give out of guilt or shame or... That was never what you talked about, Father. Do a work in our heart that we might live from the inside out, Lord, in our finances and in everything we do, Father. And then I just pray that you would continue to bless this church financially, Father, that we might use it for your kingdom, Lord. We'll never hoard it, Lord. We'll use it for what you would have us to do. And so we ask that you would provide out of your bank, which is really all of our banks, Father, and we ask that you would be lifted up and glorified and that we would leave a great legacy, a great material legacy for the next generation. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.